Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. I had to do the therapy. I had to do the work. 22-year-old me thought, why do I need to do all this therapy? Because then it's going to take away my edge. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking feel that feeling. You're not going to be cool, arty, like, edgy girl. Exactly. And what was I doing? Absolutely nothing. Just like getting smashed, painting in my flat, not showing it to anyone. At the time, I loved it. I thought, I'm the coolest. (laughs) Because for me, it was like that where I'd be like, Ooh, crazy party, so much fun, so much fun. But then you hit the wall and then you go straight back down again. Party, 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 chaos, hit the wall, fall back down. And it's like, if you keep doing that cycle, you never get to see what the next step looks like. Exactly. You can do both. You can have both. You can still be the cool artsy chick that works at Vice, but also who is going to therapy and working on her mental health. Hi. Welcome back. I'm so excited for all of you to hear today's episode. You got a little bit of a sneak preview, but we are going to be talking to Alessia today and you are going to love her. I found Alessia through a podcast interview that I heard her do with Amy Lowe, who hosts a show called Eggshell Transformations, which is aimed at people who identify as emotionally intense. And boy, do I identify with that label. I've always felt like I was too much, too this, too that, too many emotions, more than people could handle. I was so excited that Alessia agreed to come on the podcast today because I know that each of you will really identify with her and her entire journey. And what I hope is that you can be inspired by what she's been able to accomplish. She's experienced her own rock bottom moment Her moment that I say is the I am the problem moment where she realized she's the common denominator in all the chaos in her life and she's been able to accomplish incredible things. She's working for Vice, making documentaries about interesting topics, selling her art where she is able to channel her emotions and I just know that you're going to love hearing her story. So, If you've always felt like you were emotionally intense and if you felt like there's no way that you'd be able to pursue your creative interests as a job, I hope that you can let Alessia's story inspire you and show you that anything is possible. No matter what you've been through, no matter the trauma that you faced, no matter the chronic pain you endure. So without further ado, I'm going to dive straight into my interview with the beautiful Alessia. You have entered back from the borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. 
One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, we'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am sitting here with Alessia, but I would much rather have her tell you a little bit about herself before we dive in. So Alessia, maybe just introduce yourself to my listeners and tell them a bit about why you're here. Thank you so much for for having me. Um, Alessia, and I'm an Italian-Colombian artist and documentary filmmaker. I currently live in London and um, my works, I call them emotional reactions, especially to identity, mental health, and human experiences. And I mostly use colors and fluidity as my language. So the listeners know how I came across you. I was actually listening to a podcast by Amy Lowe called Eggshell Transformations. And you are one of her guests on the podcast. And I was just fascinated by your story. And we, you and I caught up a little bit before the episode, before we started recording. And you said (laughs) you did this interview really early on in your recovery journey and how far you've come since then and how, you know, you'd almost don't even relate to that person that was on that podcast episode, which I I can relate to because I know so many of us feel like I wasn't even the person three years ago that I am today, you know, but Amy's podcast is all about people who identify as emotionally intense. And I loved that because I feel like sometimes, you know, when we lead with like a diagnosis, it's so easy to put ourselves in a box, but I love that Amy's podcast just talks about emotional intensity. And I just wanted to talk to you a bit about like why was going on a podcast about emotionally intense people something that drew you in? What, how do you relate to emotional intensity? Well, I mean, first of all, my name is is intense art, you know, and mm-hmm. I've everyone has always called me intense since, since I'm a kid. Um, I've always been the intense kid. Even my parents will call me like that. Um, So, you know, university as well. And I always felt incredibly strongly about everything. Um, So, yeah, I started like, I mean, I got a diagnosis. And then after that, I sort of understood why I was like emotionally intense. And then I came across her podcast and I was like, I think this fits perfectly because, you know, because it first is my name. And then because this is the art that I do and this is how I feel, I feel I'm very intense, but it was also like a moment of acceptance as well of my intensity because before I did not accept that I was intense. I was like, it was offensive to me. Someone would call Mm -hmm. me intense. It wasn't like a compliment, you know, and it wasn't even intended as a compliment, by the way. 
So, (laughs) (laughs) so I sort of use like this thing that people would call me as something strong for me, you know, like as a strength. Mm. Um, and it's like taking ownership back of the word, right? It reminds me of like how witches are like, witch used to be a word that was like used as a derogatory thing. And then people take ownership back and people in other cultures and histories have taken like ownership of derogatory words and used it as an empowerment thing. And I love you saying that because same thing with me. I've been told my whole, oh, you're a lot. That's you're too much. Or, and I, what I love is that you've taken that and you literally, it's like you said on Instagram, you are, what is it? It's like intense art, Alessia or something, yeah. right? On yes. What was it like for you growing up as an emotionally intense child? Because now you've, you've obviously owned that, the fact that you are intense, but obviously growing up as a child, it was probably a lot harder for you to embrace that. So what was childhood like for you growing up with that emotional intensity? Um, so when I think about it, I feel split in two, actually, of course, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because, you know, there's like a parts of me where I was very outgoing, you know, so I could make friends very easily. And also because, um, we had to move quite a lot to different countries. It was very easy for me to make friends because I was this intense kid that would go to everyone. It was like, But then at home, you know, I had a very complicated situation. So I'd be like, the intensity, it wasn't towards like positive things, you know, it was like dark. It would be like very, very dark for me. So I would have these moments outside of intense um, positive emotions, let's say. And then at home, the darkness. So I really struggled with it because then, there was this point where it was like, who am I? Am I the happy kid or am I the sad kid? I I have no idea. And this is something that like I struggled with, you know, until a few years ago, until I started my recovery to actually understand that I can be both and I can be everything. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have to like just be one, you know, just choose which of the two I had to be basically. Um, Yes, honestly, like, other times it was also very hard because people wouldn't understand uh, where it was coming from and where my intensity was coming from. So it would be mean as well. Or they wouldn't like, they would be like, oh, why is she so loud, you know? Or why is she saying whatever thing? Why does she want to be at the center of attention all the time? Yes. And <laughs> I didn't even I'm realize like, I'm over here just like agreeing <laughs> with you so much because I can relate to that where you know that feeling. A lot of people know what it's like to be on the other side of someone like us that's like emotionally intense or a lot. But what I don't think is talked about is how it feels to be someone that's emotionally intense because while on the outside, it might look like, oh, we want all of this attention. It's actually like a really, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I struggled with oversharing a lot when I was like, uh, you know, always. Um, I'm only now in the last couple of years, am I like getting a handle on that? But I always felt like I had to overshare whether that was like about my personal and about intimate things, right? Like even like my sexual activities, like I would make like a joke of myself and really overshare. Same. And yeah. And you can <laughs> see people like either like 
it's either one of two things. Like you make friends really easily and lots of people want to be around you because of it. Or people are very like, oof, that's too much. And it's not a nice thing because I felt like after I recognized that oversharing tendency in myself, I realized that even the people that were drawn to me because of it, they weren't seeing the real me. You know, they were seeing like the performance of me. Do you relate to that? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And the the first thing that came to, you know, to my mind now is especially, I think I was like between 19 and 20 and I had met like this new group of friends and it was like, everyone was, you know, I oversharing and always being partying and being very loud and doing all those sort of things. So they were like drawn to me and I was drawn to them as well because I was feeding off them. Um, and then what happened was, you know, they, the, the oversharing became sort of like constant. And then it wasn't just about over like oversharing things that happened in the past, but now it was them coming into my life at that point. And they had to deal with situations that probably were unfair for them and these situations were also unfair for me now that I, that I look at it and of course this group of friends fell through I don't speak to these people anymore you know and <laughs> <God>. they <laughs> they just dropped I get, me like I that have, by the way I have so many like groups of people that I was really really close with at different phases in my life that are just like no longer there at all so I can relate Same. to that <laughs> exactly literally literally like that so and and you know what it's like I feel that I've been going so fast in my life that I never stopped to actually think about all the people that um I'm not sure how to say this in English but like dropped me somehow you know what I mean like I know exactly how you feel where it's like you kind of just like ghosted them or like just or oh it's almost like I'm trying to also like put it into words as well. I, English is my first language and I can barely put it into words. Um, I I feel like it's almost like when you have this group of friends, you're so close to them. And then you, it's like almost a sudden realization where you're like, oh my God, I don't like any of you. Like okay. I've, I've attracted all of you based upon like this false persona that I've created. And now I'm not that. And you, and you have to like, you get this, like, get it out. I call it like the ick. It's like with guys too, you know, where it's like, you're so close to a guy or you are so close to a girlfriend or whatever. And you're just like, and then you're like, you get the ick and you're like, nope, you are not me anymore. This isn't me. I got to get rid of it. I got to move jobs, move towns. (laughs) Literally. Yes. Yes, There you go. That's your new word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, and, um, and the thing is, like, it also happened the other way around, of course. Like, people would get absolutely tired of me and just, yep, like, same. ghost, like, completely. Oh, and I'd for be sure. Like, yeah, and I'd be like, why, why, why? And just, like, spiral down. And then, yeah, then accepting years How later. ironic <laughs> is it, too, that, like, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but maybe you can relate, where I would drop people really quickly and kind of, like, excuse it away in my own mind, you know, like, (laughs) but then when someone would drop me, oh my fucking God, it would be like the world is crashing down. I would feel like what, because, and here's what I think it is, right? It all comes down to identity. When we're so wrapped up in someone, they are our current identity. identity. And then if they rip that away before we're ready, 
You know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, you've taken my identity. Whereas when we are done with a group of friends, we're like, oop, my identity is no longer wrapped up in you anymore. I'm on creating a new one. And so it's like, it's fine, but don't do it before we're ready. (laughs) Literally. Yes. Yes. Like you've described it. That that, that, that is it. Yes. Yes. Been through that. Yeah. My question for you is like, because I, that is exactly me. That's exactly what happened to me. For for the record, are you comfortable sharing how old you are? For, with oh, the yes. Of yeah. course. Um, I'm 27. <laughs> 27. Okay. So I'm yes. 32. So it's like we're, you're in the same kind of like years. Uh, but it's interesting, especially for perspective. I always forget to ask people how old they are because I have like really young people listening to this podcast too sometimes. And they are just saying like, will it ever get better? Like, will, you know what I mean? And I, I don't know if you can relate, but for me, my late teens to like early twenties was just the height of it for me. Like it was mental because I no longer was in school. I was like, I had to not only deal with all my emotions, but like partners and jobs and where do I want to live? And I was just like, it was just pure chaos. I don't know what, what were those years like for you? Yes, it was absolute chaos. But the thing that happened was, um, so I think in Italy, we have a few years more of high school. I think I finished that I was 19. Oh, okay, and yeah. yes. And basically when I was in high school, I was like, I would cover, you know, I had like an eating disorder and it was like, you know, a lot of depression and mood swings and all of that. And what happened was I sort of tried to find therapy in, um, in concerts and music and all that sort of fandom word. So I blocked most of my things out by going to concerts constantly, queuing up, meeting singers and doing all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, and of course I I was going like, I was doing my therapy for my eating disorders and looking after myself in that way. But it was more like an afterthought, you know. My first thought was I need to get this concert. I need to you know, see my Cyrus or whatever, you know, Lady Gaga, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was to me like the biggest therapy. And then at 19, I moved to London. And for some reason, I, I you know, um, I can't figure it out why, because everyone comes to London to sing. I stopped. I stopped that. And I started like partying, partying hard. And that's where it picked Yep. absolutely London was my ultimate party times too so I can intensely (laughs) yeah it's it's like yeah I oh gosh like yeah 1923 it was like this moment where I have I had no idea what was going on Mm -hmm. but all I knew is was I'm having fun and who cares if I'm like ruining other people around me? Who cares? Who cares about anything? I'm having fun. And I I love this. And relationships, you know, friendships, drinks, whatever it was. And um, And you really feel in those years too, like when older people used to tell me like, you're not invincible, right? Like I always used to say like, fuck that, right? But now like looking at that, I realize like, those years where I just had no regard for myself or other people or what the, 
what the repercussions would be, you know, of me just quitting a job with no nothing else lined up or dumping a friend for no reason. Like I really do believe that those things kind of like come back, you know, yes. now. And I really think that that's when I hit my own personal rock bottom, right? Where I was just like, okay, I always say it on so many episodes of the podcast where it's like the I'm the problem moment, right? Where it's like everyone else is the problem and that's how I lived my life. Like, oh, fuck my toxic ex. Fuck that friend who (laughs) fucked me over. Fuck my boss. Fuck this city. Fuck this. Fuck that. Fuck this, right? Yes. Then I realized, oh my God. I'm the common denominator in this equation, you know, like, did you have a person here like nodding listeners don't see the video, but Alessia is like, yep, yep. (laughs) What, what was, did you have a, (laughs) did you have a, I'm the problem moment? Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, And that's when I said, I am not going to drink anymore. Mm. I am going to do proper therapy. Like, Big time therapy, you know. <laughs> Hardcore therapy. <laughs> yes. And I am going to go to the appointments and I will do everything in my power to get better. Mm. Um, but it, it was a horrible moment, you know. It wasn't like it, it was a horrible moment realizing that I was the problem. Do you because, remember what yeah. your life, what what was going on in your life at that time or any particular thing that happened that you were like, because for me, I was dating this actor in LA and I was convinced to myself that I was like, okay, I got the actor boyfriend. I'm going to live in this fancy house. And then like all of a sudden he dumped me out of nowhere, probably because I was acting like a hot mess, right? Like yeah. no surprise. And then I just like, it wasn't just that, you know, my grandfather had taken his own life and like it was a it was a horrible circumstances around it, but it was I can identify it down to that guy breaking up with me, right? That I was like like huge spiral suicidal thoughts like and then I just was like something's got to happen. So what do, is there like can you go take yourself back to that time where you were like okay, I'm the problem. What was what did your life look like at that point? whoa okay it was a mess yeah in terms of like it's like I don't think many people from outside could see what what situation I was in yeah because it was like I just graduated with a first class honor from like one of the best art universities you know from the outside and it seemed like everything was going fine going on holidays and whatever but then there was like this moment where I had um, a chronic pain and basically no one could understand what it was. I saw doctors everywhere, you know, through the NHS, privately. I went to Italy, I went to Spain and, and, and no one could understand what, what pain, what, why I had this pain. They were giving me like, they did like very invasive um, checks and then, you know, trying to give me antibiotics, which, of course, then gave me like stomachache because I didn't need any antibiotic. And it was like, you know, I was I had to sort of like pretend that that wasn't happening. But I was like in so much pain constantly. And then at the same moment, um, my cousin in, in Colombia, he killed himself. Mm-hmm. And I was like me and him were very, very close. So I was like, okay, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what the hell is going on. And then 
um, I got this phone call that my father had a car accident and he had the car accident because he later we found out he has dementia. And oh. then after that, it was like, oh yeah, literally it was like a, a serious. And then my health was like just getting worse and worse, no answers anywhere. And then um, me and my partner, which is my fiance now at mm. the time, mm-hmm. um, we had like, the relationship was it was just awful it was just an awful relationship and um we decided to like it was awful because we had a dog and we lived in the same flat we decided we were not together anymore (laughs) it was like you know I was like and with the dog that makes it so hard yes exactly it really does it adds another element yes one day you know I woke up extremely like hangover I did I took like a bunch of like antidepressants and that's where, you know, and I, I, I was in a hospital, of course, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's when I realized that I, I was going to die. Yeah. Like, I, I was going to die. That's it. That, there was no going around that. If I kept on going like that, um, there, you know, I, I would die. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I realized that um, the problem is, you know, I started looking at all these things. And it was like, okay, some of the things happened and they weren't my fault but a lot of like the relationship parts and the friendship part and like pushing everyone away when I was feeling horribly that was my fault Mm. and then that's when I said um I'm the problem (laughs) like I I I am I am the problem but I'm also I I had to be kind to myself as well because there was like I started blaming too Yes, exactly. And he was like, okay, I can do this. You know, I can do this. And I asked for help. Finally, I did it. Um, And then, yes, you know, things got, yeah, I got it together. You said you got help. So did that involve you kind of going to a psychiatrist? Like, I'd love to talk about like, what was that experience like? Like, did you get told that you have any specific diagnoses at that point? What kind of therapy did you go into like what type of therapist did you go see I'd love to hear about that of course so um before that mm. before that moment yeah. I was seeing a therapist at university and then this therapy university said to see a psychiatrist to get an assessment and then I did this assessment but the state I was in when I did the assessment um I can't I can't really ex- explain it but I if if I was to do that assessment now it would be completely different of course yeah but at the totally. time it was like very very erratic everything that was happening and then um literally after after 50 minutes she says to me oh I think you have uh, BPD and I said I got up literally said I knew it like literally <laughs> like that she's like told you <laughs> <laughs> I literally got up it's like yeah whatever oh my god and um and you know what I did with that? Nothing. Yeah. I did absolutely nothing with that. Do mm. you think I did? I, I, you know, I went to like seek a treatment for me or specifically for that. No, mm. I absolutely didn't do that. Mm. Um, and instead I went to my GP, uh, the doctor, and mm-hmm. then um, it was like, I was largely ignored. You know, wow. I was largely ignored because at the same time there was this other health um, issue that I was physical health issue that I was having so I think the doctor was just without I don't know but I got ignored 
And I told, and the doctor said to me, oh, I can give you antidepressants. And I said, I don't think antidepressants work for me because I took them um, three, two times. It was by, by then two times. And after six months, every time I found myself in a hospital bed for mm. suicide attempts. So I don't think I should try it a third time. What do you think happened after six months? I was again in a hospital bed. Wow. So, yeah. So then it was like, um, I'm trying to think about what happened. Um, I saw this psychiatrist in the hospital. And then she said to me, like, well, I think one of the things that you should do is like, you know, cut on drink. And I decided <laughs> not like, to what? cut on No. <laughs> Whenever um, they tell us that, it's like you know that they're gonna say, it and you're like, oh, I knew that was coming. Exactly, and it was like literally because at the time it was like that, but I didn't realize it was like an issue because everyone was doing it. Oh my god! And you know? especially in London, for people that aren't living in London, it's like when I live was living there, it's just a thing, you know, like yes. every day after work, let's go to the pub. Like, like it's just a thing. If you don't drink, I feel like in the States, even it's more like if you're living in LA and you don't drink, it's like, you can get away with that more. But I feel like in London, if you say like, oh, I'm not drinking anymore, it like cuts off a whole part of your social exactly lubricant. And something odd started happening because my eating disorder came back like stronger mm. than ever and um I, like no one knew about that no one knew and then I had to like convince uh my family to take me to a facility um to treat this so I went to this facility and then um I was telling like there that I have BPD and I don't know this is like and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out with my therapist what happened is that no one would believe me huh that you had BPD? Um, yes. Interesting. And, um, and it was like mostly focused on like the eating disorder. And mm. then um, a therapist said to me, oh, have you looked at SLA and um, sex and love addiction? Oh, yes. SLA. I've never heard <laughs> Sorry. of it. But yeah, okay. Interesting. And then it was like, so I started looking into that quite a lot. Mm. And I thought, okay, like this makes sense. But um, I think, you know, I came out of that facility and then I started like going to SLA meetings and Mm -hmm. I couldn't relate. I just Mm -hmm. couldn't relate to anything that people were saying because it was like, it it was just completely different story for me. And then Mm -hmm. I found this therapist that I'm so glad I found her and Mm -hmm. it's a therapy that I'm with now. And we started doing like, um, you know, dialectical behavioral therapy. And then we started doing um, EMDR and then like a mix, a little bit of mix of everything. And I said to her, like, so I went to SLA. I don't think that's my roots. Um, I don't drink alcohol like completely. I, I, I don't at all. And I don't know about BPD because I was in the center, but no one, like people were saying that I don't have that. What do I have? I don't, I don't know. And she said, well, um, she said that she was not going to just like treat BPD, but she was going to yes. look at me as a person there and then address that. There it <laughs> is, right? Like, look, I know everyone's different and you and I were talking before we hit record, but I'm so glad you're getting to this point of your life journey because 
I just really believe that so many of us get on this like diehard mission to be like, I want to know what I have. I want to know what is the thing? What's my diagnosis, right? It's like when you're feeling a pain and you're like, you go to the doctor, you're like, I want to know what's wrong with me so I can get the medicine to fix it, right? But it's like, no, what you really actually need. And it's like, often when we go to these therapists that are like, I'm not giving you a diagnosis. We're just, let's just treat you as a person. And sometimes that's met, at least for me, I've been frustrated with therapists like that. Cause I'm like, no, I want you to tell me what's wrong. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I was at the beginning. I was super yeah. I was like, no, you need to tell me. <laughs> yeah. And then, but now it's so beautiful to see where you are now, because that's where I find myself as well, where I'm just going I think both you and I understand the importance and the utility of diagnoses, right? Like we Mm -hmm. know why having a label is important because it kind of helps you get the right therapy. Um, But there comes a time too where it's like dialectics, right? Like you can't just be all one thing. Like I am BPD, for example. So I'm going to go all in BPD because when you're someone that ha- is a complex person with complex trauma and complex emotions, sometimes EMDR will work for you. Sometimes, you know, psychodynamic therapy will work for you. I'd love to talk with you about EMDR in particular because yes. I have heard so many amazing things about EMDR. I've wanted to try it myself. I have um, a girl who I interviewed on the podcast Um Kim, who is like super into EMDR too. So can you tell us what it is? It start, it stands for um, yes. eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. That's what it stands for, right? So can yes. you, Okay. What, what did your therapist explain to you about EMDR and why did she say it would work for you? So actually I, I had a session last week, no, this week. So she broke it down for me once again. <laughs> and um, and basically, she said that she, it would actually work for me because of the complex trauma that I have. And uh, and I said to her, "Okay, you know what? Uh, let's just like do it." And again, and let's start it again because it did work. We did it for a few months, and it was working. And then for some reason, um, I just stopped because I was having like a lot of anxiety about like work and life and like where I wanted to go. So we started doing a little bit more coaching. And now, actually, we started doing this again. Um, and I know it worked when I, when we were doing it um, because there were many things that in that once would trigger me. Now they don't trigger me as much, or they mm. don't like I don't have the extreme crying reaction to a certain painful memory, or even like. Um, yeah, because it's not just about memories. It's also like about things that remind me of, but I, I don't know what that thing is. Yes. So it's um, like emotional flashbacks, right? Yes, where, exactly. Where it's just like all of a sudden you don't feel okay, right? Where it's like yes. you're kind of like overwhelmed. And if someone asks you what's wrong, you're just like, I don't know. I'm just not fucking okay. <laughs> exactly, literally. And that... <laughs> Um, it went down quite a lot, actually. Yeah. It went down a lot because, for example, when we had the first lockdown, um, it, it was a bit hard because it was like, I'm alone. Not, I mean, mm. I had my partner, of course, but it was like, I don't, you know, I don't go out and my job as like a filmmaker requires to be out quite a lot. And all of a sudden I didn't have that anymore. And it was just me 
my feelings, no alcohol, and my partner. And it was like, it was, <laughs> it was like my, my trauma came with vengeance, really. It was like, yep. oh, do you remember this or this? And I was like, stop it. And then I would start crying suddenly. It was like sudden. And I didn't realize what was happening. So um, I told my therapist, like, I'm having these thoughts Mm. or like I I feel like I can't stop crying, but I don't know why. I can't understand it. And then we started doing EMDR and we stopped because I haven't, that hasn't happened in a long time. Or if it happens that I have a crisis, I know exactly what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never thought it would happen. Or when I don't say it, for example, if my partner is there supporting me and, and he's asking, what is it? Um, sometimes I just don't say it because I don't want to say it out loud. However, I know it. And mm-hmm. this is completely different from before I started doing it because before I had no idea what it was. Yeah. Just like, just like crying. That's it. I don't know why. So, oh yeah, now that I think about it, thank you for asking me that. Yeah, of course. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do you now, for example, if you kind of like feel that coming on, like when you just kind of get emotional for no reason, right? Of course there's a reason, but you can't like pinpoint the reason. What are some things you do now to like soothe yourself and like, process through that oh painting yeah Uh, yeah so like painting is the biggest thing that I do to be honest and it's like what has helped me the most and Mm. most of my art practice is because of that was born because of that you know so um and also first inspired you to want to paint like what did that feel like like do you remember I'm sure that's a moment you remember very clearly um (laughs) It's many moments, actually. So it's like, because my mom used to paint. So that was a way to be very close to her. And Mm -hmm. then there was this moment when I was, um, I think I was eight, something like that. And Mm -hmm. um, I started, because I felt emotions so strongly, the emotion would come with colors sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I had this diary where I started writing how like this emotion um, felt. And then this emotion was a color. And I had like this whole diary with all these like, you know, colors and emotions. Kids are so (laughs) intuitive. That's all I'm saying, right? Because I just read in a, in a, like um, a recovery journal the other day of like one of the ways that they ask adults to like help themselves is to say, label your emotion. If it were a color, what color would it be? If you know what I mean? If it were a person, what would it look like? And the fact that you were a little kid, right. And you just naturally did that. It just goes to show how beautiful children are and how pure they are. And they know how to heal themselves, like without anyone else telling them how before the world, like fucks it all up. Right. How beautiful that you could do that as a kid. Yes, no, now that I think about it, definitely. And it's something that is like I always had. And then when I was a teenager, I sort of like started painting a little bit more as well, always like using this thing of colors and movements and describing people as colors, literally. So 
I have friends, you know, I would have friends that would be like, oh, can you like, you know, tell me about me and the colors that you feel that I am. And then I started painting them like that. And wow, then <laughs> that's so cool. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I started like sort of reading a little bit more about it. And I got like really interested in color psychology. And then after that, um, you know, it was like even at university when we were doing like short films or short documentaries, I always, I was always emphasizing everything on color. And then there was like a lot of, you know, a lot of poetry is like that as well. A lot of songs uh, always talk about colors. And um so yeah, I just you know I just started doing this whole thing with colors, um, and then I think um, it was yeah around like 2019 that um, I actually started putting my work out there and sort of like trying to explain people the way that I experience colors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it helps me deeply because like. Um, for example, one thing that I'm doing now is called like an anxious thoughts. And every time I have anxiety, I just get up and go and paint. And mm. that's like an anxious thought. And that stays there. Um, and that is one of the reasons why my studio always has to be where I live. I can't, I can't have a studio far away from my place because the emotion is so strong in that moment that I have to release it and I release it via painting. If I take a bus to go to the studio, by that time, I'm, I'm going to have my crisis on the bus. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't, you know, I can't have that. I need to be there in that moment with my tools and paint that thing away. That is just so incredibly beautiful. And it's like, Obviously therapy is really important, but what I'm getting as I listened to you talk about that, I was like writing it down and I was like, just like you found a way, like your body kind of told you how to heal itself. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and even when you were little, it was already telling you color was so important to you. Right. It seems. And now as you've gotten older, it's like you strayed away from that for a while. And then your health like went down, 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 down. And now that you've reconnected with that, it's like you always knew how to heal yourself and it's different for every single person, right? Like not every person is going to paint. My partner, for example, he loves doing music. And even if he's not doing that professionally anymore, he is now doing it. And when he does that, it like, it's his healing thing for me, like, you know, writing or creating in this way, talking to people and putting my podcast out there. Like I've found that's like a healing thing for me too. And so what I'm taking so much from you is people out there. It's like, if you feel like something brings you healing and you've like strayed away from it, it's so important to connect to that. Even if it's not your full-time job, right? It's like, it's just, it, it heals you. And I'd love to ask you, you know, you were saying that you struggled with that chronic pain. Yeah. Did that yes. start going away? Like what, what happened? You know, do, can you, when you started expressing yourself creatively and going to therapy and feeling your feelings, like, did you find that that chronic pain just kind of started going away? What was that like? Um. So but actually what happened is I, I had to go to Italy and mm. um, there was like this doctor who apparently he was like a genius, you know, and uh, he really, 
you know, he saw like, he saw me in pain and saw my mom and me crying and the letters and, you know, emails, calls and all of that. And he really cared about me. And he took it like his mission to find something that would help me. And it did happen. Um, so like I started like a treatment that it was um, that basically this medicine you can't find in the UK because it has not been approved in the UK, but in Italy it has. And, you know, I started like doing, um, I started to, sorry, taking this medicine mm-hmm. and it was incredibly helpful. And then that plus like um, I did like therapy in terms of like accepting that I have this pain Mm -hmm. and that was like a big thing because a lot of it was like I don't want to accept that I'm going to have to live like this and now it's like um, I barely notice it to be honest I I still don't have a diagnosis by the way for it Mm. so um, we we, we still don't know what it is um is it just like what is it what is the pain can you oh sorry yes of course um Mm. so basically it's mostly in my bladder but it sort of moves around so it's not just my bladder it's like my ovaries as well Mm. and for example Mm. when I am on my period it's like is the is 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 horrible pain it's horrible yes and um they did think it was endometriosis it is not Mm. endometriosis however the medicine that um, helped me was a medicine for endometriosis actually interesting um, yes um and that, that yes it was like being able to create and I'm not just saying about painting but also like doing documentaries mm-hmm. it was a way for me to like concentrate myself a hundred percent on a certain task and yeah. not uh, concentrate on this pain that I was going through but it was like, you know, incredibly difficult because, for example, working in uh, in TV or doing documentaries are very long hours. Yeah. So I was there with this pain that is like, or, you know, having like to use the loo constantly as well. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, hell. But um, yeah, it went down a lot, you know, with, thanks to this medicine. I actually stopped taking the medicine because it's like you're meant to take it every six months. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't have this anymore. I only it, it flares up when I'm on my period, but the rest of the the time um, it's not. So so it's pretty manageable in between. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now it is, but I never thought it would be manageable. To be honest, it was, I never thought it would. It was wow. like, nope. You know, you talk about your art too, and I want listeners to know. You know, you've experienced a lot of success with your art, right? You've had Thank your you. art exhibited in the U.S., U.K., South Korea, and you've had it published in like magazines, like Dazed. And what? It's just that's that's such an incredible accomplishment. Did you ever think that you would experience like success with your art like this? What is that like? Um. No, <laughs> I didn't think so. It was like, um, you know what? I still don't see it. I still don't see it. That's at how all. it is. I understand. Um, it's like <laughs> I have a, um, I have, I've, I have been invited to an event mm. um, for International Women's Day, and I'm gonna have to do a speech on my career. And when they asked me to do that, I was like. Who? What? What do you want to hear from me? <laughs> I don't know what to Imposter say. syndrome, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, I I have no idea. Um, and I was like, 
the extreme panic, you know, because I was like, I don't know what I'm, I'm going to say now. Now I have it a little bit under control, so I know more or less yeah. what I'm going to say. But even even this this Tuesday, I have the premiere of a documentary I've worked on at the cinema here in London. It's like, whoa! So cool. And for the listeners, Alessia makes, she works for Vice, which everyone yes, knows yeah. about Vice, right? And it's, I saw you recently worked on a documentary that falls, is it the one that follows the Polish skater? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So it, I read it's like I need to watch it, um, but it's it's you following a Polish skater Gonzi, right, who struggles with borderline schizophrenia. Yes, yes. What a heavy topic! Like, yes, um, it was it was of course like you know I'm I'm not a director of that, mm-hmm. um, and it was you know because I'm a freelance. So when I was asked to work advice to me it was a dream because I can only imagine <laughs> I was literally you know before leaving um because I came to London to do journalism and then I did film and tv and before leaving Italy I, I just have these images of me being in bed on my phone just watching all the device documentaries and yeah. thinking I want to go there and do this I want to go there and do this and then I was at the BBC and I got you know like I saw this opening like a friend told me about this opening advice and that she was she was also like wanting to to go for it and then I you know then we started talking about it and I said fuck it I'll just I didn't think I would have any chance at Mm -hmm. all and I said you know what I'll just do it like worse it can happen they say no and that's it and they said yes what (laughs) oh cool were you just excited Yes, I couldn't. I still now, you know, like there's some of the stories that I'm working on now that I'm like, whoa, this is like so, so interesting. Because um, also, it's, yeah, so sorry, I, I really like it. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan. Like, I obsessively watch like Vice documentaries. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So I'm like, I'm so happy for you. And I want like my yeah. listeners to know, you know, it can feel so scary and overwhelming when you're in that phase of like rock bottom moment, feeling like you're never going to get quote unquote better, even though better doesn't exist. It's just managing it and understanding how to cope and, and embrace your emotions, right? Sit with them and find a way to channel them into something creative. But I want to bring on people like Alessia, where it's like, you can see, even if you feel like you're in your darkest moment now, you know, you can have your dream job. You can you can make a living by by putting all of these things that people shamed you for on display, right? And, and yes. channel them into something creative. And I think that's just so beautiful now because I can imagine that ten years ago, if you would have told yourself now what you'd be doing, you probably wouldn't have believed it. Literally, honestly, we we went on a we went on a shoot in Italy, and it was like. Um, it was something crazy that I honestly thought this is exactly how I imagined a advice uh, shoot would be like. <laughs> and then it was like these five crazy days following these rappers, um, seeing a bunch of like crazy stuff. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to talk about it because I really want people to actually see it when it comes yeah. out. And um, and then when we finished, I was like, uh, uh, it happened. Yeah. I can't believe this just happened. I've I've done this. And wow. 15-year-old me would be like, 
you're cool. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> you know, you're finally cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally like that. And I shared this with a co-worker who is there. And he said that um, he could relate to that as well. You know, like this, this feeling of uh, doing it, being able yeah. to, to, to do this. And, and one thing that I really appreciated of working um, advice is the fact that I finally was able to talk about my mental health yeah. and like how, you know, about most things without feeling judged and this is something that has happened when I've worked on other productions for example where you couldn't really talk about your mental health or like talk about mental health at work it was like such a taboo and Mm -hmm. I was surprised of it to be honest Um, and then you know there was like a lot of there is a lot of stigma attached to it and then when since I started working advice the things you know I've been able to actually share how I feel with co-workers and Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's like such a huge privilege, to be honest. It's like, yeah. But one thing that I also wanted to tell you about it is that none of this would have happened if I didn't do therapy, you know? Like if I was still that girl um, when I was 23, it didn't matter how much I wanted it. I would have never done it because... I had to do the therapy. I had yeah. to do the work. Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't. And 23, 22-year-old me thought, well, why do I need to do all this therapy? Because then it's going to take away my edge. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking feel that feeling. Yeah, you're not going to be cool, arty, like, yes, edgy girl. Exactly. And what was I doing? Absolutely nothing. Just like, getting smashed painting in my flat not showing it to anyone yes I think it's like dream girl life is not that cool right exactly exactly and I loved being that at the time I loved it I thought I'm the coolest (laughs) until it catches up with you right and you're like then you feel like you're like in a nightmare because it's like you realize that there's no forward progress you know if you keep on Cause for me, it was like that where I'd be like, Ooh, crazy party. So much fun, so much fun. But then you hit the wall and then you go straight back down again. Party, 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 chaos, hit the wall, fall back down. And it's like, if you keep doing that cycle, you never get to see what the next step looks like. Exactly. Literally, literally. And now you're still cool as fuck. Right. And it's like, ironically, (laughs) you are like doing such quote unquote cool shit and you have also like prioritized your mental health and your therapy and all these things. It's like, it's like you said at the beginning where it's, you can do both. You can have both. You can still be the cool artsy chick and that works at Vice, but also who is going to therapy and working on her mental health. Yes. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> so cool. Well, Alessia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It has been such a honor to speak to you. I will link to some of the stuff that Alessia has worked on in the show notes. I will link to her Instagram, her website, everything. Cause I, you have to see her art also to like actually appreciate it because obviously art needs to be seen. We can't just be talking about <laughs> it. You need to go look at the, her amazing paintings, watch her, the documentary she's worked on at Vice. And I know that 
I will be watching you very closely to see stuff that you are working on. And maybe we can have you on again and we can talk about where you are in three more years in your journey. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. Seriously, I love this. I had so anxiety before and it's like, just you're so chill. Well, I appreciate that. You do this like amazingly because like I I do interview people as well uh, as a job. You're amazing. No, you Um, are amazing. Well, maybe (laughs) one day you can hook me up and (laughs) I'll be interviewing people advice too. Who knows? Seriously. No, you're very good. Thank you. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon book list recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.